0: For your support, it's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Tuesday, May third, twenty sixteen. Be warned, there is no theme today. <laughs> Unless the theme is just bizarre. Yeah, that's a theme. Bizarre. Sorry, maybe all this heresy is going to my head. I might need to go get it Checked. Thank you for tuning in. or listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment. The goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you slow down, stop. Open up your Bible and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the word of God. There is no shortage. And I mean that. I mean, there's just a plethora Yeah, I think uh, three amigos here, a plethora, a plethora of really bad teaching out there. Is that the right way of saying that? Anyway, we cover it all here at Fighting for the Faith. This is a teaching program. We have some fun along the way, and what we do is we slow down, we stop, we open up our Bibles, and we compare what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers... Self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolates, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complexes, those whom we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, whose small group study curriculum we should be studying instead of God's Word, to see if what they're saying actually squares with what the Word of God says, or if they're twisting God's Word, being innovative, have no clue how to actually handle the right right distinction between law and gospel you know stuff like that and uh, over and again we see that uh, there is there is uh, some major problem going on out there in the uh, the broader church there's a whole lot of um innovation not so much faithfulness to what the text teaches in other words we're not really getting for the most part historic biblical christian orthodoxy instead we're getting something completely different all right let's Talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. And like I said, today's episode is uh, no theme today. Bizarre is not a theme, just to let you know. It, that's not how that works. But uh, yeah. So we're going to be all over the map today. Just the ba- basic way I can put it is we're going to uh, first hour. I think the whole hour is under the auspices, the general umbrella of prophetic, Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate, we're going to begin with Jason Hooper. Now, you're thinking, Jason Hooper? Who is, who's that? He's not the guy from Jaws, by the way. Uh, Jason Hooper is uh, the guy who was uh, made famous by the uh, Holy Ghost, Hokey Pokey. Yeah, that was the guy leading that. If you've ever heard the Max Holiday sketch, which is not parody, it's actually for real. It's real bonafide audio of Jason Hooper, formerly of Morningstar. Uh, now he's pastoring a church. And uh, anyway, uh, so uh, yeah, but he used to do the, he's the one who made the Holy Ghost hokey pokey. So we're going to head over to Kingsway Church. This is apparently the church that Jason Hooper is now pastoring, and we're going to listen to part of a message titled, Projecting What You Perceive, Projecting What You Perceive. After that, we will head over to uh, One Church LA and listen to Ray Roberts explain to us The sequence of promotion. Mm -hmm. I don't even know what that means, but that's what we're going to be hearing about. The sequence of promotion. I'm sure you all are very excited about this. Uh, Somewhere there we'll take a break. Then we're going to hear, uh, well, Bill Johnson from Bethel Church in Reading uh, explain kind of post-Azusa how you can have an Azusa impartation. So if you missed Azusa now... um, yeah, at the beginning of April. Um, well, don't worry. You can get a post-Azusa-Azusa impartation. So, I mean, this is good news. I mean, so those of you who missed the Azusa thing, if you needed a post-Azusa-Azusa impartation, they're still available. Uh, Bill Johnson will be explaining that to us. And then we are going to uh, listen to Ron Carpenter. Ron Carpenter. And, um, hmm, how do I explain what it is that we're going to hear Um Okay. Yeah. Here's the explanation. We're going to hear heresy. Mm -hmm. We're going to hear elements of the Gnostic heresy uh, from Ron Carpenter, as well as um, a belief, you know, that apparently, did you know that you pre-existed? Yeah. uh, Apparently you pre-existed. And uh, this is like part Mormon doctrine, part Gnostic do- doctrine. We're going to hear from him. The name of the message is called Mind World. Mind World, that's what we'll be listening to, part of that. And then in hour number two, when we get around to it, it may not be <laughs> It's right on the hour, but we'll see. Uh, we're going to head over to the Journey Church in New York City as we listen to Carrick Thomas explain to us about a faith that dreams. Do you have a faith that dreams? I um Yeah, I apparently don't. But yeah, I had no idea this was an important thing in Christianity. But yeah, anyway, you kind of get the idea. That's what we're going to be doing for today's episode. Again, bizarre is not a theme, but there is no theme today. But it's very much, pretty much what we're going to be looking at, a whole lot of uh, bizarre. So with that, we're going to get into the program proper. And uh, since we're beginning with a Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update, that requires us to do this. Alleluia.
1: Get up right now.
2: baba panda. I'm hearing something real powerful for someone. baba panda. baba panda. And now listen to this we
0: right that's robert tilton and who baba Kanda so we're heading over to what's the name of this church again uh i gotta i gotta find it here we go yeah the king's way church and uh here is uh jason hooper formerly of morningstar explaining to us how to project what you perceive mm-hmm. here we go
3: numbers thirteen twenty six. Now they departed and, t- and, and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation. This is talking about the 12 spies. You guys remember the story about the 12 spies? We don't have time to- Yeah, I know
0: all about the 12 spies. Know the whole song and everything. 12 men went to spy on Canaan, 10 were bad, and 2 were good. Yeah, I, I know the, st- the song, yeah.
3: Back up right now. 12 spies went out, right? These were not just any men, yeah. these were 12 leaders. These were, these were the, the, the heads of each of the 12 tribes. Why? Because leaders always have to see where the people are going before the people have a vision to get there.
0: Uh, (laughs) wow, that happened really fast. Uh, Man, if you blink, you would have missed it. I mean, that, whoa, you know, so number one, we're not actually reading a biblical text. No, we're just summarizing it. And number two, we're creating, well, important insights that aren't even in the scriptures. But apparently, um, yeah, Jason Hooper, I mean, he can you know, divine things on the in-between parts of the uh, biblical text. You know, he can see stuff that's in the margins that you can't see. Obviously, uh, written in, like, invisible ink, but he has, like, one of those amazing purple light things where, you you know, when you hover it over the biblical text, he can get all the insights that the rest of you can't get. So so the reason why God chose, uh, regarding the spy mission in uh, Numbers 13, uh, heads of the different tribes, is because... Leaders have to give a vision. Yeah, uh-huh. I, I, I see. Okay, we continue.
3: Because the leader has to see and then come back and communicate. This is where we're going. This is how we're getting there. And this is the faith that's going to get us into this place. Uh-huh. And so they departed and they came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land, big grapes.
0: Big grapes. Yeah, the size of basketballs. Those are some big grapes, right? Yeah.
3: Then they told them and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. In other words, it's just as we, it's just as we were told. It's amazing, but. It's amazing, but. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The people who dwell in the land are strong. And see, what happened was they started to see themselves as weak and started to see them as strong. And that's why it's so important. Yeah, actually, that's really not the problem. The issue
0: is they began to see the Lord as weak. Uh-huh. Yeah, see, um, because God's the one who promised them the promised land. Yeah, and God's the one who deve- defeated, yeah, the armies of Pharaoh. You're familiar with the whole Red Sea incident. Yeah, that's uh, that didn't go so well for the... Um, <laughs> it really didn't go so well at all for the uh, the egyptian army but uh see the issue is, is not that they saw themselves as small the issue is is that they weren't trusting god that really is the issue why don't we read a little bit about that uh, numbers 13 verse 17 moses sent them into the uh, in, sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, sent them uh, to sent, said to them go up into the negeb and go up into the hill country see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak whether they are few or many and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad and whether the cities that they dwell in are in camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are trees in it or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up, spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rehob near Labo Hamath. They went up into the Negev and came to Hebron, Ahimon, Sheshai, and Talmai, and the descendants of Anak were there. uh, Hebron was... Built seven years before Zoan in Egypt, and they came to the Valley of Eshcol, cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between two of them. They also brought some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshcol because of the cluster that the people of Israel cut down from there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh, they brought back word to them to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, we came to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the hill country and the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go at once and occupy it for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against this people for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report. Of the land that they had spied out, saying, "The land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. All the people that we saw are of great height. There we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim, and we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them." The story continues, and all the congregation lay, raised a loud cry, and the people wept at night. They are literally accusing God of bringing them out of Egypt only to have them all die by the sword, you know, by the hands of the people who are living in Canaan at the time. Their issue is they're not believing and trusting God. That's the issue. So let's go back to uh, Jason Hooper as he tries to explain this text to us.
3: You say, doesn't your Bible say, let the weak say, I am. Doesn't the poor say, I am? Come on now. Doesn't the redeemed say, see, it's important what you say. Oh, yeah. Because what you say is what you sow. Uh, What? What you say is what you sow? Yeah, I don't think so. Nevertheless, people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Big boys. The Amalekites, which are a backbiting people, dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountain. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. All the ites. Remember, we said last week, if God had a plan for the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Canaanites, he's got a plan for your cellulites. So come on. Oh, I like, I don't even have a comeback for that. What was that? Verse 30. Come on now. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. There had been no test of strength up until now. It was all in what they believed, how they saw, and then what they said. Because your belief is connected to how you see and what you see you often say. We speak out of our reflection. They gave, uh, The scriptures say, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Is that what you mean? Children of Israel, a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, came from down there, and we were like grasshoppers in our sight, and so we were in theirs. You know, and it's interesting. Here you see, when you look at the bad report, it says, listen... They devour its inhabitants, but they are many. Do you see how that, that's a conflicting statement? They are men of great stature, and they are too numerous to number. Yet they devour their inhabitants. You know what that tells me is fear is irrational. And when you begin to make, start making excuses, facts and truth no longer have a place in what you're about to say. What? Because when fear has a voice... It will lie in whatever way it needs to to get its point across to get you to back away from the battle you've already called to win. Uh, what battle is that
0: exactly that I've been called to win? What makes you think that this passage is about
3: me? And so I wonder what this was like when – how did they know that the sons of Anak saw them as grasshoppers? I mean was there an interview process where they're like, hey, listen – We've come to spy out the land, and we know you were here. We're probably not going to come because even though this is flowing milk and honey, it looks a little too hard for us. But we have to bring back a report of the land. So, you know, how, you know, Mister Anak, you know, what, what what would you say? Would you, how, how how do you see us? And did they interview him back and forth? You know, was you know what do you see? Ah, uh, well, no, you know, oh grasshoppers, perfect. That's what we saw too. We'll take that back to the people. Now, this is what it-
0: I I I don't know what that was. I I mean, whew, yeah, you. you he, he thinks he's doing exegesis. This is more like um, a divine comedy without the divinity. Okay.
3: The way they saw themselves, they projected on their circumstance. Uh-huh. And see, what you believe about you is what you portray about you in the lives of those around you. What? How are you getting that from the text? Do you see yourself as more than a conqueror? Do you see yourself as an overcomer? Do you see yourself as a mighty one?
0: Because um, I see myself as a sinner saved by God's grace. I'm not out there taking possession of my promised land. Um, I'm not out there conquering my Nephilim or anything like that. I, I mean, yeah, you've kind of lost the whole plot, plot line anyway. Ultimately, this is a story about trusting in God and by believing and trusting having life in his name. That's really what scripture is all about, believing and trusting him for the promises he has really given us. And what has God promised me? That I'm going to go and slay my my Nephilim? That I'm going to go and conquer my promised land, but I got to learn how to say words that sow into, you know, a perception that creates a a real No, the Bible doesn't teach that. Instead, it teaches me to believe that I am forgiven for the sake of Christ, calls me to repent of my sins and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. From that, I receive eternal life. Um, I have a God now who I have been made right with and have peace with, who calls on me to pray to him as, as my heavenly father, letting him know my needs on a daily basis, and then knowing and understanding that all the needs that he meets on a daily basis in my life come from his his gracious and kind and merciful hand to me, one of his fallen creatures. Um, as far as going out and being my uh, a conqueror of this or, you know, a mighty one of that, yeah, no, that's actually not exactly what we're called to. So, I mean... Projecting what you perceive, yeah, well, I, there's a lot of projecting going on here. I perceive that, but um, not a lot of biblical exegesis going on here, which really is the problem. All right, moving along, we're heading to uh, One Church LA. We're still under the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate as we listen to two Ray Roberts explain to us the sequence of... Of promotion, I, this is some really handy information, by the way. If you are ever trying to figure out what the biblical sequence of, of promotion is, well, hey, wait no longer. Here it is.
4: A little bit. Um, I want to draw your attention to Genesis chapter twenty-two. It is not an unfamiliar passage. We've heard it, we've seen it, we know the story. I want to look at it from a different angle, a different perspective, perhaps, and we've looked at it before.
0: Genesis twenty-two, different angle. Okay,
4: I think we're going to be blessed by it. Um, and the title of this message, the thought, if you would—I don't really do titles. Uh, it's really more about the thought. Is the sequence to promotion?
1: Hmm.
0: Yeah. Genesis twenty-two, revealing that all-important sequence that we need to, you know, follow so that we can experience promotion in our life, right? I I don't think that's what Genesis 22 is about, too,
4: Ray. The sequence to promotion and the sub-thought is in you, then for you. In you, then for you. Oftentimes we want for things, or we want God to do things for us, and God's process is not to do for us before he does in us. And so... What are you talking about? in us and then for us and that can explain some things because if you don't understand that
0: genesis 22 is the story of abraham being called upon to sacrifice his son isaac it is a type and shadow of the crucifixion of jesus christ and points us to the promise that on the mount of the lord It will be provided. God will provide for us the sacrifice, and it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. I mean, what are you talking about?
4: And when God is getting ready to do something for you, and the season before that is when he does something in you, sometimes when God is getting ready to bless you, it can look like he is betraying you. Uh, What? You, you, you understand what I'm saying? If I don't understand how God operates, if I don't understand how God moves, if I don't understand what it feels like to have his hand on me, then I can misinterpret him moving in my life for him betraying my life.
0: Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is what happens when you make the biblical stories about you rather than Jesus. Genesis 22 isn't about you. It's about Christ.
4: And it's funny, I was telling the 9 o'clock service earlier today, a lot of times we, we get so used to how God touches us, what it feels like for his hand to be on us, that when he puts his hand on us in a different way or for different purposes, we don't believe that his hand is on us. We, we know what it's like when his hand is upon our head. That's favor, favor. That's blessing, etc, but sometimes God will take his hand off of your head and he will bury his hand underneath you because he's getting ready to lift you
0: uh-huh, yeah it really uh which biblical text actually teaches this? This is you just having no clue how to understand these texts, making stuff up
4: tell what I'm saying. So, so sometimes we, we don't know what it feels like when God takes his hands off of our head and puts it underneath our feet. And oftentimes we are so buried in a situation or a reality that God has to actually dig in the ground.
5: So,
0: what? So God's out there digging in the ground.
4: Right. Which text talks about God digging in the ground this way? They're making his hand undetectable uh-huh. in order to get underneath us and then elevate us from the root. Because one of the things that I've learned about God is that God promotes us from the root.
0: <laughs> I, I don't know. I, he, yeah, this guy's just making stuff up and people are going, oh, amen, amen, as if he's saying something profound. He ain't saying anything profound. What he's saying is just nonsense.
4: I wish about two or three people would catch what I just said. We we would we would rather be promoted from the waist up and God says no 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 no. All this is raggedy. Just stretch me like Plastic Man. Just stretch me and promote me. No no no. God will go down and dig deep into the root of a thing and to the root of you because he truly wants to lift you up and elevate you. But when he does that, that process can look like betrayal. God, you have bet- you are betraying me. I'm not betraying you. I'm doing in you because me doing in you is the only way that I can do for you
0: so now we've got dialogue and he's speaking for God with dialogue that nowhere exists in scripture, but you know, Hey, you know, you know that apparently he can do that. You know, I had no idea. Are you hearing me? Oh, I heard you just fine. Nothing you've said is biblical or true, but I heard you
4: and you have to understand how God operates. You got to understand how God works and Abraham Is getting ready to figure that out. And so let's look at Abraham Genesis 22. uh, And we'll just look at, I just want to look at this first verse real quick.
0: Yeah, let's let's take a hard look at that first verse, right?
4: Actually, we'll look at the first two verses.
0: Oh, yeah, we'll throw in two. Yeah.
4: Yes, now it came to pass after these things. Guess what after these things mean? There's some other stuff that happened before that.
0: Wow. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm.
4: In the Greek, that's what that means, even though that's Hebrew. Anyway, now it came to pass after these things, after these things, say after these things. And I'll talk about these things in a second. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, weird.
4: You know, the Bible is so misleading.
0: Mm, Okay, yeah, God likes to mislead us. Through the Bible,
5: really? You're like, where are you going?
4: Because this looks so sweet. Now came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and we're like, oh, yes, duh, he was testing him. But how many of us know when you're in the test and God didn't let you in on the fact that it was just a test, it ain't pretty hello somebody because the Bible just explains it off like oh it's nothing it was God was just testing him this man's life is getting ready to get turned upside down God's calling it a test and God's mind is a test to him it is a crisis who would here right now was in the dilemmas in the pickles in a crisis
0: yeah notice wow you know just like so quickly we jumped from you know the biblical text to your story or my story in this story isn't about us. I'll explain that on the, other end of the break so we got a a pause right here if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of fighting for the faith you can do so my email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on facebook facebook.com forward slash fire christian follow me on twitter my name there at fire christian quick break when we come back a little more to ray roberts and we got bill johnson and ron carpenter stay tuned don't want to miss them we'll be right back
1: We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're
5: listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now.
2: <laughs> no, oh, no, no! Oh, oh, pirates! Life. Bring up the hottest yo ho. We kidnap and ravage and don't give a hook. Bring up the hottest yo ho. Yo ho, yo ho. A virus like for
5: me. We've sworn to be over. Max Holiday's Birdcage Caesar presents Church Day Select. And now, Max Holiday's Birdcage Sheeter proudly presents... Sessions with...
6: Mildred. Um, Mr. Sunshine,
5: your three o'clock appointment is here. Oh, good. Send them right on in. Will do, Mr. Sunshine. Oh, dear, I've completely forgotten who I'm meeting. Let's just see who it is. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Oh, yes. Uh, Mr. Brightweight was at one o'clock. Miss Woodhead was at two... And at three we have? No
6: Hello ah! Oh dear, Not again. Sorry about that.
5: It was merely a reflex action. I'm trying to get that fixed. So, anyway. Why are you here today?
6: I was assigned to you again after my attitude didn't improve last time. Did you forget already? It must be because you don't like me.
5: Of course I don't. uh, uh hate you. Nobody hates you here. We all love it when you're not around. I, 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 I mean... Uh... <laughs> Let's get down to business. We're here to discuss how you performed in our newest Lead Like Jesus program. I'll just pull up the complaint file here. <laughs> <laughs> Let's
1: start
5: from the beginning. Approximately three hours later. So after you failed to walk on the lake, you then disappeared for two weeks and were luckily found by hikers in the mountain who claim they found you deliriously raving about how you refused to turn a rock into... Fred, do you have anything to say for yourself?
6: But I thought I was leading like Jesus, like you told me to. Uh,
5: I think you failed to see the purpose of this ministry outreach. There are a few accounts that even I can't even understand. Here, explain this
6: one right here. Well in matthew 21 jesus cursed a fig tree and it withered away because it didn't bear any fruit so my neighbor down the street planted a lemon tree about three years ago and i've never seen any lemons on it so i walked over and cursed it but it wouldn't die so i used sulfuric acid instead What are you doing to my
5: tree? You maniac! Get out of my yard! Uh... What? Why is my tree melting?
6: Sir, do you have a moment to talk about the Lead Like Jesus program?
5: No, I don't have time to... Stop changing the subject! Get off my lawn! Stop! Stop!
6: stop. I, I
5: get it! Okay, how on earth did you get banned for life... From the local soup kitchen.
6: Well, remember the feeding of the 5,000 in Matthew chapter 14?
5: Yes, we all know the story. You don't mean to tell me.
6: Well... All right, Mildred. We have a large shipment of food that just came in. We need you to direct the men to put it where it all belongs.
5: Right. What do you want it all?
6: Oh, sir, we don't need your food today. I'm just going to lead like Jesus and have God provide these people with food. What?
5: If you don't mind me saying, but I think God provided all the food on this heavily-laden truck.
6: It's okay. My pastor had a vision that this would work.
5: Well, that settles it. Men, we've got the wrong place. We thought this was a soup kitchen, but it turns out that this is a loony bin. Head out!
6: Uh, Mildred? Where's the food? Don't worry. This is all the food we need. That's just two of crackers and three dead goldfish. I'm leading like Jesus. If you just give me a wicker basket, I'll lift it up and God will multiply it. The only thing that's going to multiply is the number of bruises on your face! Good
5: gravy! That's not what you're supposed to be doing at all!
6: But I'm supposed to... I know.
5: You're supposed to lead like Jesus. But you've clearly took this too literally. And this last one about you making a whip from electrical cords and chasing the poor baristas from the coffee shop in the church foyer while screaming something about brood of vipers and uh, turning God's house into a den of robbers is is taking it too far. Well... No! Not again! No more flashbacks! Why do you keep getting these anyway? Sunshine, open up. This is the police. We received an anonymous phone call from Biblical Repair about you corrupting the youth and forcing them to do terrible things in the name of God. Curse you, anonymous caller! I can't go back to prison! You'll never take me alive, coppers!
6: Ah! Um, does this mean our session is over?
0: Listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that the Bible's not about you, but it's actually about Jesus. And there's a reason for that, because the Bible isn't about you, it is about Jesus. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. You can partner with us. That's right. It's a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute well an amount that you pick. That's right. You get to pick your rank in our crew. We have four ranks. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate, twenty four ninety five a month. Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And Quartermaster, $99.95 a month. This is a great way to support us, by the way. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to partner with us with, you can do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to post office box 13344 Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support because we truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, we're going to do a little biblical work here. We're going to take a look at Genesis 22, and I'm going to note how this is actually about Christ. Now, by the way, Jesus himself makes it clear the scriptures are about him. That's right. In the Gospel of John, he chastises the Pharisees and basically says, You diligently search the scriptures because you think that in them you have life, yet they are the very scriptures that testify about me. And you refuse to come to me that you might have life. And other passages of scripture make it very clear. Old Testament is type and shadow. Christ is the fulfillment. Christ is the substance. Same with Genesis 22. Genesis 22 verse 1. After these things God tested Abraham, said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. On one of the mountains on which I shall tell you, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place which God had told him. Now you notice here that take your son, your only son. Yeah, weird way to talk about Isaac, don't you think? Because uh, Abraham has two sons, as Isaac and he has Ishmael, and yet he talks about Isaac as your son, your only son. What's God up to? This isn't about Isaac. This is about Jesus. You see, Jesus is the unborn great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson of Isaac in the loins of Isaac right now. And Mount Moriah is the place where the Temple Mount is this to this day. And because that's the case, he's heading to the very hill on which Jesus himself will be crucified. This is, if you would, a type-and-shadow dress rehearsal for the crucifixion. So on the third day, verse 4, on the third... Pay attention to that third-day stuff going on in Scripture. A lot going on on third days that have significance you know, pertaining to Christ and what he's done to us, for us. And uh, so on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, saw the place uh, from afar, and Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. Notice he laid the wood on his son. Mm I think crucifixion here. It's a dress rehearsal. So he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And so they went, both of them, together. Abraham spoke the truth there, by the way. God indeed will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, and he did. <clears throat> that would be Christ. Uh, we continue, verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there, laid the wood in order, bound Isaac, his son, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Uh, notice, yeah, we got, we got Isaac bound on top of the wood think crucifixion here then abraham reached out his hand took the knife to slaughter his son but the angel of the lord called called from heaven and said abraham abraham and he said here i am he said do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him for now i know that you fear god seeing that you have not withheld your son your only son from me yeah weird because abraham has two sons yeah So Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Look at that, a ram that God provided, yeah, with a crown of thorns around its head, weird. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that the name of the place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day on the Mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Yeah, dress rehearsal there typologically for the crucifixion of Jesus. That's really what that story is all about. I mean, Isaac being the only son. Mm -hmm. You kind of get the idea. But Ture here thinks that, well, this is about you. It's about me. And so, yeah, he's Narsegeting one of the most important Christological passages in all the Old Testament. We continue.
4: But it's really just God's test. And and, and you're not going to know it until the story of you is written out. And you read about it. See, the story of you is written out as you walk with God and God begins to turn what you thought was a betrayal, what you thought was a crisis, what you thought was a dilemma. He begins to turn it into a test. See, it's just the.
0: Yeah, when the story of me is finally written, boy, I can't wait to read that.
4: The passing of time is going to prove what you are lamenting was really just God's testing. What if right now? Maybe you're not experiencing anything. Maybe I'm talking to those who are watching via live stream. But maybe, what if, what if the thing that's giving you the most. What if,
0: what if, what if. Yeah, no way to do biblical exegesis now, is this.
4: Headache right now. The most grief, the thing that's keeping you up at night. That little boogeyman that's hanging in your shoulder. Ghosts of the past. What if all those things were just a test? And right now in your reality, it's the worst. It's the craziest. Yeah, what if you
0: haven't rightly understood this text and it's not teaching some pattern of testing in our lives and you've totally got this wrong? I think that's kind of the more plausible um, hypothesis, if you would.
4: It's the most confusing thing, but God is saying it's just a test and time is going to tell that it was just a test. That word test is a word that literally means to prove. So it's not like God is like like putting you through this test, like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to see how you're going to... No, no, no. It's literally to prove what's there. What if God testing you is to bring to the forefront, is to bring to the surface what he deposited in you that you don't know was there?
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, see, there we go. We got the invisible not known deposits theory doctrine. Yeah, because... This is taught nowhere in Scripture, as you can see. To Ray Roberts, completely clueless that, well, the Bible is about Jesus, not us. And that's why he's flopping around there. All right, moving along, we've got a a Bethel Church update. That requires us to do this. Yes, folks, the truth is out there somewhere. But we're really sure that the one place that the truth is not is in Redding, California. Well, at least not at Bethel. Yeah, that's right. We're continuing our quest to search for the truth because we believe the truth is out there. But uh, in this installment of uh, our Bethel Church Redding update... We're going to be listening to Bill Johnson as he explains to those who were unable to physically make it to the Azusa Now revival that uh, they, well, not, should not fret or worry because you can get a post-Azusa Azusa impartation. Yeah, it's true. Here's Bill Johnson to explain.
7: We went to celebrate the past, but only because of how it impacts and pertains to the future. Right. You know the 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 illustration I always give is of a golf swing, even though I'm not a real good golfer. Occasionally, I get a good shot and feel like the champion of the world, but it's
0: you're going you to exegete a golf
7: swing, you you can do that. It's the exception. it's not the rule, you know but in a, in a golf swing, you bring your golf club back. Yeah. your backswing is important, your history is important because your history if you can see your history and you can see where you are in the moment, you can tell where you're going.
0: Yeah, apparently you can exegete a golf swing. I, I'm not sure if this is a sound exegesis or um, a sound doctrine pertaining to the exegesis of a golf swing, but okay.
7: Does that make sense? And there's, the, there's that importance of discovering, all right, this is what God's done. 600 million people, outpouring of the Spirit, gifts of the Spirit, healing revival. All these things have taken place. Jesus people movement, charismatic movement where people from all branches of the church and we find we're in this moment. What could happen next? It's the billion soul harvest.
0: It's- oh, yeah. Billion soul harvest coming up next, folks, because, you know, that's, you just look at a golf swing and there you have it. It's, it's obvious. That's what's coming next.
7: Billion soul harvest that the prophet's been prophesying about. And it's vital we stay current in our thinking and in our prayer life. I've, I feel like God summoned us as a generation yesterday. I don't know that I heard anything new, but I feel brand new. Does that make sense? I, I, every, I mean, we've been saying the same things for years. so it's, Now
0: he's talking about the Azusa revival thingy that took place at the Coliseum.
7: Not like new information. It's just there's a new anointing on old information.
0: Yes. New anointing on old information. Yeah, well, that'll freshen it right up.
7: And uh, and the reason uh, I I felt like there was in a sense permission to talk about this today was I wanted to read this to you because this this for me this changes everything. The Lord came down in a cloud and he spoke to Moses. And he took the spirit that was on Moses and placed it on 70 elders. And it happened when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied, although they never did it again. In that moment of Holy Spirit immersion, they prophesied. It says, but two men who remained in the camp, the name of one was Eldad, the name of the other was Medad. Parents don't ever do that to your kids. Trust me, they'll hate you the rest of your life. Yeah, me dead. Me Yeah, what do you mean? You're dead. Me dead. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And the Spirit rested upon them. Now, they were among those listed. In other words, they were in the list of elders. They just didn't make it to the meeting. Maybe they were, you know, overslept or... Caught the flu that day or whatever. We don't know. It doesn't explain. It's just they didn't show up to a meeting that everybody was supposed to be at. So it says the spirit rested upon them. They were among those listed but who had not gone out to the tabernacle, yet they prophesied in the camp. And
0: what does that have to do with you or the Azusa now revival?
7: Unusual thing in the kingdom. A body is a body. And a body is connected member to member. It's impossible for all of us to be at everything. It's just not possible. I mean, I would love to.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, So that's what—that's why God and the Holy Spirit inspired Moses to write all that down so that we could understand that, you know, it's impossible for you to make all the, you know, places where the Holy Spirit's showing up in waves and you've and you got to surf him. So you may not be able to catch the latest wave of the Spirit, but don't worry, you know.
7: I have a passion to show up anytime the doors are open. But it's just not possible, plus with the travel that we do. So we have a whole bunch of family here at home that were not able to make it to Azusa Street. And something was released over the somewhere between 3,000 and 4,000 Bethelites that showed up there yesterday.
0: Uh huh. So a whole lot of Bethelites were there, and something w- was released. Yeah, kind of the spiritual version of the Zika virus or something like that. That apparently, yeah, it was released there though at the Coliseum.
7: That's a whole bunch of folks from Reading. I felt like the planet just kind of tilted, just just a little, just a little tilt.
0: Yeah, but what about those who weren't able to make it?
7: That when those folks showed up and there was an impartation of grace upon. The sixty five to seventy thousand people that stood there in the rain, there was an impartation. That same impartation is for every other member of the family.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. So yeah, there's a post Azusa Azusa impartation thingy. Right.
7: You here. We know it's not it's not possible, it's not feasible. It wouldn't even be right for everyone to be there.
0: Right. Do you need a, a note from your doctor or your mom if you weren't able to be there so that you can uh qualify for the post azusa azusa impartation
7: because there are other responsibilities i had a friend of mine said man i want to be there so bad but my daughter's getting wedding married yeah it's probably a good idea to go you know show up you know i understand the desire to be two places at once i'm glad god didn't offer that omnipresent as a gift of the spirit because i probably would have asked for it and it would kill me. <laughs> I'd be really tired. I'd be more tired than now. Yes. So here's what I want you to do. Just, I, I read that because I, I felt like we just needed a decree. Listen, what was released yesterday? You didn't miss it. You didn't miss it.
0: Oh, that's so comforting.
7: We needed you where you were at yesterday. We needed you in your responsibility, in your assignment. We needed you. We are stronger. Because everybody, every person took their position.
0: Yeah, so good news. If you missed Azusa now, there's still a post-Azusa, Azusa impartation available for those people who are not capable of bilocating and being in two places at once. Don't worry, though, the impartation still lingers and you can, you can grab your share of it. Right, is all I can say. Yeah, right. And this is what happens when Scripture isn't enough. And you claim and believe that you, you got to be receiving direct in, uh, revelation, impartations, mantles falling. Yeah, you get the point. Yeah, right. All right, moving along, we got to get back under the Prophetic Holy Order's uh, umbrella again. That requires us to do this. Down at an English
3: fair,
4: one
5: evening I was there. When I heard a showman shouting underneath the flare I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts
0: There they are standing in a row Big one,
8: small one, some as big as your head Give them a twist, a flick of the wrist, that's what the showman said
0: I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts
5: Every ball you throw will make me rich
0: there stands me wife, the idol of me life, singing "Roll a ball, a ball, a penny a pitch."
5: Singing "Roll a ball, a penny a pitch." Singing "Roll a ball, a ball, a penny a pitch." Roll a ball, a ball, roll a ball, a ball, singing "Roll a ball, a ball, a penny a pitch." Yeah, that's
0: right. I got a lovely bunch of coconuts. So we're gonna head over to uh, Ron Carpenter's television program and listen to the opening. Portion of the first sermon in the series titled Mind World, and you are going to hear Gnosticism. You're also going to hear something that I, I don't know what else to call it except for something like Mormon doctrine or whatever. I hope you're sitting down because what you're going to hear will blow your mind. Yeah, pun intended. Here we go. This is to
2: Romans 12, verse 8. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden and there he put the man who he had formed out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant in the sight and good for food the tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil did you hear that? first of all there were two trees in the garden
0: Yeah, that's true. Well, two very important trees, yeah.
2: They could have eaten from the tree of life all they wanted to. But there's one tree that they couldn't eat from, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In other words, if you eat from this tree, the consequences of this tree are not only death, which means separation from God, but the consequences of this tree is that this tree will mess up your head. Now, you need to understand there is a difference between when you were created and when you were made.
0: Uh, oh, uh, what? <laughs> what? There's a difference between when I was created and when I was made? Uh oh.
2: There's a difference between when you were created and when you were made. The word "created" means to take from nothing.
0: Well, that, this is true.
2: Have something to take from nothing and make a thing.
0: Yeah, that would be called an ex nihilo creation, correct?
2: Word "made" means to take what's already there and turn it into another form. Let me
0: see. Say- well, yeah, that, again, true, true. But watch where he goes with this
2: again to create means to take nothing and make something to make means to take what you have and turn it into another form the bible says that god made man in other words he reached into the dust something that was already there and he made it into another form
0: so yeah that's correct you know in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth He made all of the matter, and then he fashioned things from that matter. Humanity was not called into existence out of nothing. God formed humanity, made man in his image, and made Adam from the dust of the earth. That's correct. Watch what he does here
2: that which God made is my body I have a body God made it out of the dust of the earth that's why you hear at funerals ashes to ashes dust to dust from the earth you came from the earth you shall return so whatever you go back to when you die it tells you that's what you came from the fish dies and goes back to the water the star dies when it falls out of the sky come on somebody and then you got when we die we go back to the, the dust. You got the plant life and animal life. When it dies, it goes back to the earth. So whatever you are made out of, when you perish, you go back to it. God made us a body out of the dirt. Our body is not the real us.
0: Uh-oh. Now we got a problem. Yeah, now we got a problem here. The, our body not the real us? Yeah, no scripture says that, by the way. Um yeah, a little bit of information he kind of left out. Um, Genesis 2, 5, When no bush of the field was yet in the land, no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. There was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land, and the watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord formed, fashioned the man of, uh, of dust from the ground, and here it is, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living spirit. Yeah, okay, so here's the thing. Um, Adam wasn't alive until God breathed into him and made him a living spirit. Humanity is comprised of, you know, physical body and spirit, soul, and... God has put the two together so inextricably linked together. We're both, all right. And when the body is ripped from, when the soul is ripped from the body, the the body ceases to live. It's not that our true self has left; it's that we've died. And this, you got to understand this. We are going to be resurrected. That's what Genesis, uh, not Genesis, 1 Corinthians 15 is all about. It's all about the fact that we are going to be raised again. We're going to have bodies like Jesus's current resurrection body for eternity. World without end. And so, I mean, this is just bizarre what we're listening to here
2: our body is a temporary house our body is what the real us lives in during our times and seasons on the earth i'm about
0: yeah no 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 it's not like it's some kind of a space suit yeah that's not how that works
2: To explode because I know what I want to teach you and I want to preach so bad, but I got to calm myself down in order for you to get it. So, Ron Carpenter lives in this body while he is here on earth.
0: Yeah, no, Ron Carpenter is both body and soul, he's 100% flesh, 100% spirit. Uh huh. And there's only one Ron Carpenter. Yeah, see, no, it's not like Ron Carpenter lives in this body. That is no, 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 no. This is Gnosticism. Gnosticism basically teaches matter bad, spirit good. Notice the the uh, the way he says it. The real me is is not has anything to do with my flesh. No, no, no. The real me is the spirit. This is Gnosticism.
2: But Ron was never meant to be eternally in this body. Why? It was made out of the dirt. To
0: Again, you do understand we're going to be resurrected. Jesus is going to call us from the grave. We will be in a body for eternity. Body and soul reunite on the day of the resurrection
2: temporary house that would house the eternal real him the real me was made out of god good god almighty hallelujah
0: oh no 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 the real me was made out of god wow he just taught that we're a divine wow the real him is well divine it's 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 made from god so it is god
2: i was created out of god ephesians 1 4 for we were created in christ jesus to do good works we were created in christ before the foundations of the earth
0: yeah what does it mean in christ that does not mean that we're little deities or we're made from god
2: if I was created, which means to take nothing and make something, if I was created, but God formed man out of dust of the earth, that means God had created me out of himself before he ever made a earth and dust to make my body out of.
0: Yeah. No, that is not what the book of Ephesians means at all. Yeah, this is like, this has crossed the line into full blown rank, and I mean this rank heresy that we're hearing here. This is Gnosticism
2: i have been in existence in some form this may be blowing your mind i've been in existence in some form for eternity with god and god knew me god knew ron god had a plan for ron god had a destiny for ron god had a kingdom assignment for ron long before the earth was ever made and long before god ever gave ron a body and Mm,
0: so ron has existed for eternity That would make Ron God. And he's already made it clear. He's made from God, so he's made of the stuff of God. That makes Ron God. This is, no no joke, full-blown Gnosticism here.
2: What we've got to understand is now is the time that the eternal run that came out of God has been put in the earth and I dwell in this temporary temple. And while I'm in this temporary temple, I have an assignment in the earth from my God that I'm supposed to accomplish why I am here in the name of Jesus. May I just get a real.
0: Yeah, so this is like Gnosticism. Mixed with the dream destiny purpose thingy theology. And who knew? I mean, it's fascinating that you can actually mix the two so comfortably like this. Boy, I'm officially creeped out. I mean, seriously, I can't remember the last time I've heard somebody so clearly espousing and teaching Gnosticism. Rare bird, but um, maybe not so rare anymore as people become so obsessed with themselves They exalt themselves even to the point of being deity, being God. Wow. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break when we come back. And we're heading over to New York City and listening to a sermon by Carrick Thomas about you now having a faith that dreams.
1: Yeah, stay tuned; no one will miss it. We'll be right back. Sisioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents "Death
0: of a Salesman." for additional savings. Again, FightingForTheFaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today.
1: This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. All right,
0: we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. I think you can kind of see why this had no theme today, but man, what a mess. All right, let's do this right. and, wow, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunities Sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon, <laughs> I don't know what this is, comes to us via the Journey Church, New York City. Carrick Thomas presiding. Name of the sermon is A Faith That Dreams. That's right. Do you have a faith that dreams? I, yeah. I, I, maybe it's bad if you don't. But my faith doesn't dream. Yeah, and then even when my brain dreams, it's usually in black and white. I don't really dream that often, at least in a way that I can remember. I'm sure I dream every night, but all kind of just disappears. I mean, if you don't have a faith that dreams, maybe you're just doing Christianity wrong. That's kind of the way I interpret this. So let me go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here's Carrick Thomas of Faith That Dreams.
8: Well, welcome once again to The Journey. If we haven't met yet, my name is Carrick. I'm the pastor here at The Journey. And I'm excited that you're here today. You may have to bear with me a little bit. I've got hot tea. I've been sick, and so my voice is going in and out. So bear with me uh, as we go through the message today. But I am excited that you're here today as we continue our brand-new teaching series that we kicked off last Sunday on Easter Sunday called Faith, Unlocking the Secrets to a Fearless Life. And what I want to talk about
0: unlocking the secrets to a fearless life
8: what and what i want to talk to you about today is the dream that god has for your life
0: um i don't remember the i have a dream section of um the bible i mean yeah it's not like god was standing on the steps of the uh, lincoln memorial and saying, I have a dream and it's a dream for your life. Yeah, no, that's not how that works. Life
8: and how faith is the key to unlocking that dream. So
0: uh, the key to unlocking it,
8: which passage says this? So go ahead and find your message notes. They look like this. Pull those out. As you pull those out, I want you to grab a pen so you can take notes as well. Now, as we begin, it's true that all of us have dreams. We dream at night, but only some of us can remember the dreams that we had the night before. Just by a show of hands, how many of you remember the dreams that you have most nights? You can remember your dreams. All right, that's about half of you. How many of you cannot remember your dreams? You try, but you can't. That's about the other half. In fact, that's, that's in alignment. They say about 50% of people remember their dreams. 50% of people can't remember their dreams. Now, unfortunately, I fall in that group that cannot remember our dreams and and it's maddening to me because there's some nights that I'll have this great dream. I know it's a great dream. I'll wake up and there are times when I've woken Lori up, my wife, and I'll say, Hey, Lori, you won't believe what I just dreamed. And she'll say, what did you just dream? And it's gone. And it's gone. It just, it just floated away. I lost it somehow in, in that those few seconds. And what scientists say is that when you're asleep, uh, that a lot of times your thoughts aren't incorporated into your long-term memory as easily as as they are when, when you're awake. And so a lot of times those dreams will just float away. Now, what's sad is not that some of us can't remember the dreams that we had the night before. Because honestly, most of those dreams are inconsequential. Most of them don't really matter. What is sad is when we lose God's dream for our life.
0: Oh, no. Oh, no. I mean, whew. I got to think about this. Where did I put that dream? No, it's not. No, it's not in the bookshelf. Is it in the basement? Oh, maybe I put it in that box and then put it in storage. Oh, no. I, I better look. I, I better make sure I didn't lose God's dream for my life. Oh, that would be terrible. Life.
8: That dream that God placed in our heart, when we, when we let it be stolen by someone or something, when we let it slip away and it, it, it floats away. That's the kind of...
0: Oh, it must be made out of helium, you know.
8: That's the kind of dream that I want to talk to you about today. That dream that God has placed deep within your heart, the vision for your life that God has given you, that you're passionate about, that you think about all the time. Let me ask, has God given you a dream for your life?
0: Yes, and the dream is, well, showing Christians that stuff like this isn't actually biblical teaching. That's the dream that God has given me for my life. It's, it's exposing false teachers like you, Carrick.
8: A dream for your future, for your career, for your family, for your faith. A vision for your life that you really want to come true. A dream. And I don't even use a vision board, you know. ...dream that you think about all the time. Our first verse is at the top of your notes. It's Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. It's our memory verse... Uh,
0: <laughs> Jeremiah 29, 11. Out of context already. Yeah, he's proof texting. He's not exegeting here.
8: Memory verse for today. And so let's read it out loud together um, with a lot of enthusiasm. As if we're awake, not as, for, not as if we're asleep and dreaming, okay? So let's read it together, beginning with four I." Are you ready? Go. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. On that first line, I want you to circle the word plans. Circle the word plans. God says, I have plans for you. I want you to draw an er- Who's
0: the you there? That's a plural you in, um, in Hebrew. Yeah, the you there is referring to the children of Israel. This is not some general promise regarding God giving you a dream destiny thingy for your life. So he's twisting Jeremiah twenty nine
8: eleven. Draw an arrow out from plans, just a little arrow, and then write the word dream. Dream. He might as well have said, for I know the dream that I have for you, says the Lord. It's a good dream for your life. You see, I love this verse. Because when you put God's plan with your faith, then God's dream for your life is awakened and it comes to life. And so today, what? It's awakened? Where does it? it doesn't say that. And so today I want to help you understand God's dream for your life. And as we begin, I want to give you three perspectives on God's dream for your life. I have it there in your notes. Understanding God's dream for my life. Here's the first perspective. And simply this, God has a dream for my life. That's the first thing I want you to know that God has a dream for your life. You see, God is a dream giver. He created you for a purpose.
0: Uh, He created us for good works, which he, you know, just read Ephesians 2.10, you know, which he's prepared for us to do in advance. It's not the same thing. And what are the good works that God has called us to? It's summarized in, in the back half of Ephesians, you know. Husbands, love your wives the way Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Slaves, obey your masters. Masters, don't treat your slaves harshly. Yeah, it's all kind of caught up in our day-to-day vocational stuff.
8: God carefully and intentionally put you together in your mother's womb. And he's got a dream for your life that is for your very best. Look up here for a second. You are not an accident. You were created intentionally and carefully by God and for God. He has a purpose for your life. Before you were born, God had thought about you and He knew what that purpose, what that dream would would be. And God has a dream for your life that He wants to see come to fruition, that He wants to see come true. And so, this is the first perspective: God has a dream for your life. Here's the second perspective: Sin keeps me from experiencing God's dream. Sin. Keeps me from experiencing God's dream. See, sin is a detour. Sin is a detour.
0: So sin gets in the way of the dream destiny thingy, right? So you better stop sinning. Yeah, you don't want your sin to take you off your dream destiny thingy. Okay, I don't, listen, I don't have a problem with saying that sin gets in the way of our good works. Sin is to be bent in on yourself, all right? I mean, for sure. And you're not serving your neighbor when you're sinning. You're serving you. But see, he's not talking in these categories. All right, so we're going to talk about sin. I wonder what the solution for sin will be.
8: Sin is a detour that that gets us off the path to God's dream and onto a path that leads us to something less than God's best for our lives. Sin is where God says, hey, this is my plan for your life. This is my dream for your life. I want you to follow this path. And we say, no, thank you, God. I know better than you. You know, I'm going to be my own God. I'm going to follow this path. I like this path better than your path. And we turn our back on God. We go our own own way. That's sin. And sin is a detour that takes us off of God's best path. It prevents us from experiencing and living out God's dream for our life. And of course.
0: Oh, yeah. So sin's going to keep you from, you know, experiencing God's best path for your life. No, actually, um, sin, you know, (laughs) let's be honest. It sends you to hell. Hell. Okay, uh, best path. I mean, good night. It's like we're dealing with sin with kit gloves here.
8: And of course, when we do that, when we get on another path, we miss God's dream. And then here's the third perspective. God has a dream for my life. Sin keeps me from experiencing it. Then here's the third. Faith is the path to experiencing God's dream.
0: So faith, not faith in Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Faith is the path For you to experience God's dream for your life. What?
8: Faith is the path to experiencing God's dream. You see, faith is the key to unlocking God's best plan for your life. It's
0: Mm, it's the key to unlocking God's best plan, right.
8: Your life. It's the key to discovering God's dream for your life and ultimately to achieving it.
0: Right, yeah, so...
8: No, Which biblical text teaches this, Carrick? Yeah. So, if faith is so crucial to finding and fulfilling God's dream for your life, then what exactly is faith?
0: Well, right. I mean, I can answer the question, by the way. You want to talk about like a word study of the word faith in the Greek? Pistis uh, is the noun form, pistuo, verb form. It's belief. It's trust, right? Faith as an object. Or you can go with like you know Hebrews chapter eleven and its um, summary of faith. Faith is the assurance or certainty of uh, the assurance of things hoped for, the certainty of things not seen. Yeah, see, yeah. For by faith the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God. So faith is trust. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the forgiveness of sins, eternal life, conviction of things not seen. We don't see them now. They are promised to us. We trust God and his promises. I mean, those are just two ways of tackling this biblically. Why do I feel like Carrick Thomas isn't going to do that?
8: Well, in your notes, here's our definition of faith. Whose definition? Faith That we're using throughout this series. Write this down. Faith is is seeing from God's point of
0: view. Uh, what? Where would you get that definition? Did you make that up? I mean, which biblical scholars go with this definition, definition of faith? I've never heard this definition of faith.
8: That's our definition.
0: Oh, it's your definition. Not the biblical definition, but yours. Got it.
8: Faith is seeing from God's point of view. Faith is a way of looking at the world through God's eyes. It's having God's perspective. Faith is seeing every adversity, every discouragement, every good thing and every bad thing that happens in your life, seeing everything in your life from God's point of view, from, from his perspective. In fact, that's what Hebrews 11:6 says. It's talking about faith.
0: No, Hebrews 11:1 and 2 says, "Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the certainty of things not seen." That's what it says. Why are you skipping that, which defines what faith is, and or describes it? And you're going to what?
8: Faith. This is without faith, it is impossible to please God. In other words, you're not. Oh, man.
0: Um. Yeah, we're talking about saving faith here—the faith that trusts God for the forgiveness of our sins, you know, the assurance of things hoped for,
8: things not seen. Wow. In other words, you're not going to achieve, you're not going to realize God's dream for your life without faith, because faith pleases God. Oh,
0: your your faith pleases God. It's the work that you do so that you can show God you're serious, so that God will then unlock your dream destiny thingy and finally reveal it and give it to you. Yeah, this is based upon his definition of faith, not the biblical definition definition of faith.
8: He says, because anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now hold your finger here for just a moment. Don't flip just yet. If faith is the key to unlocking God's dream for your life,
0: and it isn't, you're the one saying it is, not the Bible,
8: your life, then fear is the lock that prevents you from pursuing that dream.
0: (laughs) Well, it follows logically, if then. But the thing is, you haven't correctly defined faith. You just made up your own definition.
8: That dream. If faith is the key that unlocks God's dream for your life, then fear is the lock that prevents you from pursuing God's dream. Fear keeps telling you that you're not good enough, that you don't deserve it, that, that you can't dream big. That you- um, what? I don't deserve it. I can't dream big. Scripture does not invite us
0: to dream big. Where are you getting this?
8: That you'll just fail again. So just settle. I mean, you're nothing special, so just settle for something less. Did you get this from Joel Osteen? Yes. But you see, faith, faith leads you to a fearless life and to pursuit of that dream.
0: Uh, No, no biblical text says that. You're just making this up, Carrick.
8: You know, there's some of you here today, if I were to ask you, you would admit that right now you're living a passionless life. And maybe at one point you had a dream, a God-given dream, and you were excited about it. You had a purpose, a dream for your career, a dream for your ministry, a dream for your family, a dream for your faith, for your life. But for whatever reason, that dream died. You, You let fear overtake your faith. This is such a tragedy. There's dead dreams everywhere. Take your faith... And you settled for something less than God's dream. You you settled. Well, today, I want to help you reawaken God's dream for your life. I don't want you to miss out on God's dream. I don't want you to reach the end of your life and look back and see that you missed out on God's best and you settled for.
0: (laughs) What is he doing? So he's concerned. I don't want you to reach the end of your life and look back at your life and go, oh, no, no. I didn't experience my dream destiny thingy rather than look, getting to the end of your life and going, I don't want you to go to hell. (laughs) I Oh,
8: wow. This is crazy. I Wow. You settled for something less. In fact, take a look at this. So open your notes to the inside. For the rest of our time today, I want to help you reawaken that dream that God has given you. The dream for your life. Because, I, again, I don't want you to get to the end of your life and look back and realize that...
0: Yeah, I don't want you to get to the end of your life and go to hell. No, that's not what he's concerned about.
8: I don't want you to get to the end of your life and then realize, Oh, I didn't experience my dream destiny. That'd be terrible. Realize that you settled for something less. And so today we're going to look at four steps of faith that will allow you to experience God's dream For your life, and here's the first step of faith. Number one, by faith I find God's dream. By Uh, no text says that. By faith I find God's dream. Now listen, God's dream for your life is so much bigger than your dream is, and so that's why it's impossible.
0: Great. Why don't you open up to the big God's dream is bigger than passage of scripture. And, you know, exegete the biblical text and show that this is actually what's revealed in scripture.
8: It's impossible to unlock God's dream for your life without faith because faith allows you to trust God with a future that you can't see yet. Uh, faith allows you to trust God with a dream that is too big for you to accomplish on your own. That's why faith. Where does it say that? that's why faith is necessary matthew chapter 9 verse 29 these are the words of christ in fact let's read these out loud together beginning with according are you ready go according to your faith let it be done to you now underline the word
0: (laughs) well according to your faith let it be done to you so there you go um okay three rules for sound biblical exegesis they are, oh, that was just awful. They are context. Context. And yeah, context. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let me show you the context in which that half of a verse appears. Matthew chapter 9, I'll start at verse 27. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said, Yes, Lord. He touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. Their eyes were opened, and Jesus warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame throughout all that district. Jesus asked them, Do you believe that I am able to? Do you have faith in me? Jesus is asking, and their answer is, Yes, we have faith in you. Uh-huh. Yeah. This, oh, man. This is not about believing God so that he can unlock your purpose or dream destiny.
8: Wow. I underlined the word faith. He says, according to your faith, that's going to determine the kind of life you live. That's going to determine the dream that you embrace. And that, that, yeah, the text doesn't say that once you put it back in context. You're a Bible twister, Carrick. That, that you pursue according to your faith. Jesus says your faith will determine how much of God's dream you experience in your life.
0: No, he doesn't. God's word doesn't say that at all. You just put words in God's mouth.
8: Your life. In other words, if you expect God to have a small and insignificant dream for your life, you're going to end up living a small and insignificant life.
0: Says no text anywhere. Life.
8: But if you believe and have faith that that God's going to give you a big dream that could change the world then you're going to find that God's dream for your life is big and it's significant.
0: Oh, yeah. So the the size of your dream depends on how how big you think the dream is. Again, no text says this. He's just making stuff up. Matthew 9 doesn't teach this. That's for sure.
8: That's the kind of dream that God wants to give you. You know, the, the size of your faith will determine the size of God's dream. You know, it's our small faith that limits What God can do in our life. It's not the dream that he has for us. The dream that God has for your life is much bigger than you could even imagine. But it's our faith that limits what God can do. Now, by the size of your dream, I'm talking about significance. I'm talking about meaning and fulfillment. I'm talking about doing what you were created to do. Because there are a lot of dreams that you can dream that are big but that aren't significant. Because it's your dream and it's not God's dream. I mean, maybe you're dreaming of being a millionaire by a certain age. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but my question would be, for what purpose? Do you think that God put you on this planet just to live for yourself? Of course not. God's dream for your life is bigger than just you. It's bigger than your dream. I mean, you can't even imagine. Yeah, you keep
0: saying these things about God's dream, but you're doing it without any text that say any of the things you're saying. You are literally inventing promises from god that don't exist
8: you can't even imagine all that god wants to do in your life most of us are living such a small fraction of what we're capable of with god you see god's dream for your life is enormous it's big it connects it connects with god's plan to change the world god says i can do more than you could ever imagine or dream
5: it it connects with god's
0: plan to change the world jesus is going to do that all on his own you are aware of how God's going to change the world. Yeah, read Second Peter. He's going to literally destroy the heavens and the earth. I mean, <laughs> the elements are going to melt. Uh, God's going to destroy planet earth. It's, it's kaput. It's going to die. And then he's going to resurrect it, new heavens, new earth. He doesn't need my help to do that. In fact, I wouldn't even know where to begin to help him with such a task.
8: Imagine or dream of. That's why I want you to write these two words down in the margin of your notes. These two words, dream big. Dream big, because dreaming big honors God. It it shows faith. It shows. Yeah.
0: How come the disciples, the, Jesus's apostles never taught this? That's weird. Yeah. I don't recall, you know, Peter, you know, or Paul, you know, while planting a church. And let me tell you, I have good news from Jesus. Dream big. It's right there in the book of Acts. No, it's not. It's not in Acts. It's not in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's not in any of the epistles. It's, it's nowhere in scripture.
8: Shows trust, so listen don 't base your dream on what you think that you can do don 't let fear limit god 's dream for your life. but base your dream on what you think God can do through you. Let the size of your God determine the size of your dream, not the size of your gifts, the size of your talent, the size of your intellect, the size of your bank account.
0: Well, how big is, is God exactly? Uh, can you give me some dimensions here.
8: Account? No, let the size of your God determine the size of your dream because God's dream for your life is bigger than your dream. So it's by faith that I find God's dream. And then back in your notes, here's the second step of faith. And by the way, remember this, it requires faith because it's bigger than you can dream on your own. It's, It's a bigger dream than you can dream on your own. Then here's the second step of faith. By faith, I follow God's dream. Write that down. By faith...
0: Why would I write it down? The Bible doesn't say this.
8: faith, I follow God's dream. Now, before you pursue that dream that you want so badly, stop and make sure it's God's dream you're following and not your dream. That yeah, how do
0: I check? I mean, what do you do? I mean, is there a label you look for on the dream?
8: That it's not just your personal desire. Make sure... That your faith is in God and not just some idea that, that you came up with.
0: Yeah, like all of the ideas in the sermon that you just came up with. I mean, it's the weirdest thing. I mean, the thing you're telling people to do and to watch out for and you know to avoid, you're actually doing it in this sermon. That is what is so bizarre and ironic.
8: We continue. There's a difference. You know, sometimes we want something really bad, But we want it for all of the wrong reasons. And it's not really God. It's really just our selfish desires. You know, when I was in college, I had plans to go to law school. I spent the first three years of college preparing for law school. I wanted to be a lawyer. That was was the path that I was on. And man, did I work hard for it? I wanted it. But I was miserable. And the more I pursued it, the more miserable I got. Because it wasn't God's dream for my life. It was my dream. It was my idea. It was my desire. Now, listen, there's nothing wrong with being a lawyer. If that's a dream that God has given you, then pursue it with everything you've got. The problem was it wasn't God's dream for my life. It was my dream. And and I was trying to force my plan and make it God's. And listen, if you're doing that, that never works. So how do you know it's God's dream that you're pursuing and not just your own dream?
0: Yeah, well, considering God's word doesn't teach us, I mean, how are you supposed to answer such a question?
8: Well, it starts first by praying and, and asking God to examine your heart, to test your motives. Are they pure? And here's an important question. So
0: if my motives aren't pure, well, that, that'll, that'll shoot it right down. Uh-huh.
8: Important question to ask yourself. Does your dream benefit others, or is it simply for your own fame, fortune, and gratification? Is the dream that you think could be from God, does it benefit others or is it simply for your own fame, fortune, and gratification? Ask that question and be honest with it. And, and then you can also use three guides that God gives you to help filter your dreams to be sure that they come from, from God. There are three guides. And, and um, our next verse in your notes, John chapter 15, beginning in verse 16, it, it uh, reveals one of those guides that God gives us. These are the words of Christ. Jesus says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the who? Holy Spirit, Underlined Holy Spirit, who leads into all truth.
0: (laughs) So apparently leading into all truth will lead you into this false teaching about dream destinies, right? (laughs) That doesn't make any sense.
8: You see, the Holy Spirit, that's one of the guides. Now, there are three guides that God gives you. and and In fact, I've left you some space in your notes. You may want to write these down in the margin of your notes. The first guide, you may have guessed it, is the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're a Christian, God's Spirit is with you and in you, guiding you and directing you and prodding you and pushing you towards God's dream for your life. And so don't ignore him. Don't ignore the Holy Spirit. You see, God's not just going to let you wander around and miss His dream for your life,
0: and so. Pray- no, He's not going to let you do that. So, he's, <laughs> so the Holy Spirit's going to be like you know, the bumpers on a you know at, at the bowling alley, you know. So you know it'll throw you right back into the lane, so that, <laughs> so that you can have your dream destiny. <laughs>
8: And so pray and ask God to guide you, and his Holy Spirit will. Spend time with God. That's how the Holy Spirit works in your life. The Holy Spirit will lead you to God's dream for your life. That's the first guide. The second guide is the Bible. Number two, that the second guide is...
0: You, you mean the thing you're totally ignoring in, uh, in this sermon? Right, yeah.
8: second guide is the Bible. See, the Bible is God's guidebook for your life. God will never send you in a direction for your dream that contradicts his word.
0: Yeah, well, the sermon contradicts his word. So what does that do with the sermon then, you know?
8: And so you can use the Bible as a trustworthy guide to lead you in the right direction and to follow God's dream for your life. So you've got the Holy Spirit working in conjunction with the Bible. And then the third guide that God gives us is the church, the church. And that's one of the reasons that God gives you. A-
0: yeah, not the journey church that twists God's word. Yeah, that, that, that's a blind guide leading the blind for sure.
8: That God gives you a church family so that you have Christian friends in your life who can be there and, and can and speak wisdom into your life when you've got to make decisions about is this, is this God or is this just me? And, and then you've got a church that, that, that teaches you and pushes you to grow in your faith and to spend time with God. They help you pursue God's dream for your life. that's why being part of a church family is so important. And by the way, I want to invite you, if you're not yet a part of the Journey family, and you think, hey, this is the church where I'm going to attend, I want to invite you to be at our membership class next Sunday. Um, Grab that connection card we were talking about earlier. It looks like this. Go ahead and pull that out. If you flip over to the back, Pastor Tyler was talking about it earlier, but that third next step says receive more information about the Journey's membership class next Sunday. It will be right in this room right after the 1 o'clock service. So you can just attend the service next week, hang out afterwards, and we're, we'll have the membership class right here. We pull back the curtain and share with you everything that we can about our church, our history, our mission, our core values. And I think it's such an important step to be part of a church family because a church family, along with the Bible, along with the Holy Spirit, helps you discover God's dream for your life and helps you pursue it. As well. So it'll be a lot of fun next week. I hope you will join us for that. But here's the key set aside time every day to seek God's guidance. That's what Isaiah 50, verse 4 reminds us. It says, The sovereign Lord has given me his words of wisdom morning by morning. Underline those three words, morning by morning. What he's saying is that every morning I get up, I seek God's guidance. I seek his wisdom. I seek his direction. So he says morning by morning, he...
0: Yeah, seek his guidance all you want. That doesn't mean that this doctrine regarding the dream destiny thingy is true.
8: Morning, he wakens me and opens my understanding to his will. Now, by the way, I don't want you to worry about this. Because I've, I've talked to a lot of people who say, well... I don't want to pursue God's dream for my life because I'm going to hate God's dream for my life. I mean, we've got this view that God's dream for my life is going to be something that makes us miserable. Like I, he's going to I'm going to be a missionary somewhere in a, in a jungle and I'm going to I'm going to hate it. Listen, that's not the case. God's dream for your life is what you were created for. It's what you were specially put together for. God's dream for your life is yeah, you keep talking
0: about it like you know what it is, but you never use any verses that say any of the things you're saying
8: for your life is going to bring you to life. It's going to awaken your soul. It's going to give you passion for your life. And so you don't have to worry that you're going to hate God's dream. It's what you were created for. You see, God's dream is where God's purpose intersects with your passion. And when God's purpose, inter- which text says that? Purpose intersects with your passion. Something wonderful is going to happen. You're going to come to life, something wonderful. So go ahead and flip your notes over. How, how faith allows me to experience God's dream for my life. Two steps of faith. By faith, I find God's dream. By faith, I follow God's dream. And then across the page in your, in your notes. Number three, by faith, I focus on God's dream. By faith, I focus on God's dream. <clears throat> you know, on the journey to fulfill God's dream, it's so easy to get off track and to settle for something less than, than the, the original, than the authentic dream. To, to settle for something that's smaller. And look, I don't want that for you. As I said earlier, I don't want you to reach the end of your life and, and, and look back and, and see that you settled for a cheap imitation. That you, you lived a, a less than kind of life because you, you didn't pursue God. You settled for something less, not God's dream for your life. That's why Proverbs chapter 4 verse 25 says this. It says, look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. In other words, focus on God's dream. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. This this proverb says, stay focused on God's dream. Don't get sidetracked. Don't let anything kill God's dream for your life.
0: Yeah, that's not what it's saying.
8: Your life. Let me just be honest, though. There are some deadly dream killers out there.
0: Oh no, there's dream killers stalking the land.
8: What do we do there that, that, will, that will kill your dream? In fact, I've listed five of them here in your notes. These are five of the, the most deadly dream killers. Here's the first one. Write this down. Fear. Fear is probably the most deadly of all the dream killers. I mean, there's some of you who are here today, and you're just afraid to do what you know God wants you to do. I mean, you, you, if you're honest, you know what God's dream for your life is. And you know the step that, that he wants you to take next. But fear is holding you back.
0: How am I supposed to divine God's dream for my life?
8: Now listen, if it's God's dream for your life. When you step out in faith, God will be there. Because faith says that God is bigger than any obstacle you'll face. Now, fear, what fear does, fear makes, it exaggerates. Fear exaggerates. It makes the obstacles appear bigger than they really are. But what faith does is it reminds you that God is bigger than any obstacle that you'll you'll face. So don't let fear kill your dream. He's just making stuff up. I mean,
0: yeah, whatever comes to mind, just start preaching it as if it's the will of God and the word of God and what God wants us to know. So weird, totally man made doctrines
8: here. Here's the second dream killer distractions. Distractions. You know, some of you miss God's dream because you're distracted by a smaller dream
0: that, or distracted by a false teaching like this,
8: dream that isn't from God. A few years ago, a friend of mine in the church pursued a new job and and he pursued this job mostly for money, for prestige. It, It was a promotion. The only thing about this new job, though, it didn't allow him to attend church with his family on Sundays. And so at first he stopped attending and they attended. Then they stopped attending and for months I didn't see them. It turns out his marriage got in trouble. Their family got in trouble. His health went down. And the reason was the dream he was pursuing wasn't God's dream. Listen, God will never give you a dream that leads you further away from him. God's dream for your life will always draw you closer to him. God won't give you a dream where you can't attend church with your with your family and you can't be with your family. And, and so finally he ended up getting out of that job, getting another job. And they got it turned around. They got back in church together. Their marriage got back on track and he was able to turn things around. But listen, God will never give you a dream that takes you further from him. But it happens that we get distracted by a cheap imitation. So don't let distractions kill your dream. Here's the third dream killer, failure, failure. You know, maybe you tried to pursue God's dream once, and it didn't work out. You failed, and so you gave up. It was hard. So you quit.
0: You know, Carrick. Look, some of the big. should be very, um, let's just say, worried about the fact that the Bible doesn't teach any of it. I mean, how does somebody stand up in front of a whole crowd at a megachurch and basically just make stuff up and say, this is what God wants for you without any biblical texts that say anything like this? It really should worry him. Because, because, you know, Christ in his word has commanded that pastors preach the word. Yeah, so, I mean, this guy has to know that, you know, he's going to have to stand before Jesus and explain how it is that he thought it was more important to actually preach his own ideas than actually what's in the Bible. Bizarre. Look, some of the biggest heroes
8: of the Christian faith, Abraham, Moses, Peter, I mean, they were disasters. I mean, they failed big time. I mean, remember, Abraham didn't become a dad until he was almost 100 years old. Moses led the people of Israel around in the desert for 40 years before he got them to the promised land. Peter denied Jesus three times during Jesus's greatest time of need before he went on to become the leader of the early church. So for you, maybe it didn't go the way that you wanted. So You failed. Look, make sure that it really is God's dream. And if it is, then go for it again. Don't give up. Don't let failure derail you. Don't give up. Never surrender. And so don't let fear, distractions, and failure kill your dreams. And then here's the fourth dream killer, comfort. Comfort. This is probably the most insidious of the dream killers. I mean, it's as simple as this.
0: Yeah, it's insidious. Yes. Although he made up the list himself. Because no biblical text actually lists out the dream killers, just to note that.
8: I'm comfortable here. God's dream seems really hard, so I think I'll just stay here. Thank you very much. Right? God gives me a dream, but it seems difficult. I'm I'm comfortable here, so I'm just not going to do it. You know, it could be something as easy as, uh, hey, I could join Journey Kids and invest in the children here in our church, but then I would have to get up early once or twice a month on a Sunday.
0: Oh, yeah. See, there's there's the dream right there, getting up a couple times a month early and working at Journey Kids. There's the big change the world dream from God, but, oh, your comfort might keep you from, well, experiencing your dream.
8: On a Sunday. I'm not going to do that. Or, or I could join the worship arts team and use my gifts to, to praise God, but then I, I would have to audition. I'd have to, to practice. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to do that. That's, that's too difficult. You know, God wants me to go step out and start this new nonprofit. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of risk. I, I'm just not going to do that. I'm comfortable where I am. Yeah, Satan will really trick you by making you think that as long as I, I stay comfortable, things will be okay. Listen, go for it. Don't let comfort Derail your dream. And then here's the, the fifth dream killer. Doubt. Doubt. Sometimes you doubt God. You know, if I step out on faith and really go after my dream, God, are you going to be there? And God, is this really what you want? Sometimes we doubt God. Then sometimes we doubt ourselves. Now, I, I can't do this. I, I'm not good enough. Or sometimes we'll even say, man, I don't deserve that. After what I've done, the way I've lived my life, there's no way that that's really God's dream for my life. I, I don't. Are
0: you de- going to talk about Christ and Him crucified for our sins? Please tell me you're going to tell them about that.
8: I, I don't deserve that, and we'll talk ourselves that. We'll talk ourselves out of God's dream. Listen, the key to defeating all of these dream killers is to keep your eyes on Jesus as the dream giver.
0: Jesus, the dream giver. No biblical text talks about Jesus in this role. So we're just inventing a new thing for Jesus to do. Got it. Jesus, the dream giver.
8: He will strengthen your faith and he will see you through the dream killers to God's dream for your life.
0: Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of dream killers, (laughs) I will have no fear so that I can go and use my dream destiny thingy to change the world.
8: For your life. Don't give up. You see, it's faith in Christ that gives you the power to hold on to God's dream, even when things get tough, even when they're difficult, even when you're scared or discouraged. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, it says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. In other words,
0: strip off the fear, the distractions. No, actually, it's talking about sin there. Yeah, I mean, you should read Distractions,
8: the failure, the comfort, the doubt, all those dream killers. Get those off of your back.
0: Yeah, you should read it in context. Yeah, sorry, I couldn't get to the button quick enough. Hebrews 12. Therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the great hall of faith mentioned there, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus the author and the perfecter of our faith. Yeah, it's telling us to lay aside sin, not dream killers. We continue.
8: Back. Then he says, especially the sin that so easily trips us up and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. In other words, he's saying, go after God's dream. That's the race. Pursue God's dream. No,
0: that's not what the text is saying at all. You're putting that in the text. It's not there.
8: How do you do it? We do this by keeping our eyes, our focus on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Go ahead and flip your notes over to to the back. To to experience God's dream for your life. By faith, you find God's dream. By faith, you follow God's dream. By faith, you focus on God's dream. And then finally, on the back of your notes. By faith, I fulfill God's dream. By faith, I fulfill God's dream. You know, if you're, you're going to fulfill God's ultimate dream for your life, it will require faith. Because if it's really God's dream for your life, then it's going to be bigger than you could accomplish on your own. It's going to be bigger, says you, bigger than you. That's why it requires faith. God's not going to give you a dream that's so small and so easy that you could do it on on your own power and your own strength.
0: Yeah, the good works that Christ has given us to do. Husbands, love your wife as Christ has loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands. Slaves, obey your masters. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, those good works sound like they're capable of being done by a person.
8: Strength on your own talent. If it's really a dream that's from God, it's going to require faith because you're going to have to. Yeah, that's just you totally
0: twisting what God's word says and then making an extrapolation that isn't based in scripture. You're making this up.
8: Because you're going to have to have faith that God's going to show up and help you with that dream. And so listen, there will be obstacles. If you're pursuing God's dream, there will be doubt. There will be fear you're not going to be smart enough or or strong enough to do it all on your own. There will be times when you feel overwhelmed. You're going to think about quitting. That's why you need faith. Hebrews 11:1 says it this way. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. <clears throat> you know, I've had people tell me before.
0: And what according to scripture are we hoping for? Oh yeah. Forgiveness of sins, eternal life, Mm -hmm. not a dream destiny thingy.
8: Before, I thought this was God's plan for my life. I thought this was God's dream for my life. But you know what? There were so many obstacles. It was so hard. Everything didn't line up just perfectly for me. So I guess it wasn't God's dream because there were those obstacles. No, listen, you are facing those obstacles precisely because it was God's dream for your life. God would never give you a dream that you could easily accomplish on your own. And listen, if it's God's dream for your life, that means that Satan is going to try to do everything in his power to stop you and to rob you of that dream.
0: Because yeah, Satan isn't interested in actually trying to send you to hell. He's, he's too, way too busy trying to stop your dream destiny thingy from happening.
8: Because Satan knows that if God's dream for your life is fulfilled, not only are, is your life going to be fulfilled... But lives will be changed and the world around you will be impacted for Jesus Christ. And Satan can't let that happen. So he's going to make your pursuit of God's dream more difficult. So there are obstacles. Now, the tragedy is that so many Christians take the easy road. And even though they're saved, even though they know they're going to heaven, they live unfulfilled lives that don't make a difference and don't live up to the potential that God created them for. Because they chose the easy path.
0: And when I was in college. Yeah, you know, like, you know, going to work and serving your neighbor in your vocations. You know, husband, wife, father, mother, employee. Uh, uh, just totally squandered their, their life. That, that, actually, that's the places we do our good works, according to Ephesians 5.
8: And when I was in college, <clears throat> I played football. In my freshman year, I was redshirted, <clears throat> so I was on the scout team. And the scout team means that you're basically just a glorified tackling dummy for the first string defense. That's what I did. And I was a little guy. I was a receiver. That means I didn't like to get hit. I didn't want to get hit. But halfway through the year, some of our freshman running backs got hurt. And so on the scout team, I ended up being a running back. That means I got hit on almost every play. So I wasn't enjoying life. But I remember specifically one play that they called in practice. We're running the plays for the other team against our first string defense. And they call a play where I have to run up the middle. And they snap the ball. I get the ball and I'm, I'm running up the middle. And all I see are these big guys hitting. And I'm, I'm afraid it doesn't look good. And I glance to the outside. And I see all of this green grass out there. I'm like, it looks a lot better out there than it does in here where the coach called the play. So you know what I did? I bolted for the outside. Instead of running up the middle, I stopped and I turned. I ran as fast as I could for the green grass on the outside. The only problem was <clears throat> I didn't have any blockers out there. And waiting for me unblocked was our starting six foot three, 230 pound linebacker. And the last thing I remember as he picked me up and was slamming me into the ground was looking back to the inside where the coaches had called the play and seeing a hole big enough for a truck to drive through. And if I had just trusted my coach, if I had just run the play, I wouldn't have gotten hit. I would have made it through. But I thought I knew better and I ended up getting crushed. You know, it, it leads me to think, how many times do we do that in our own life? I mean, how many times does life have to pick us up and slam us into the ground before we believe that God has our very best in mind? How many times do we have to get slammed to the ground before we understand that God's dream for our life is for our very best? And that's where we're going to be fulfilled. That's where we're going to come to life. That's where we're going to live the life that God. How many times are we going to have to not trust God and and and, and Feel the pain for that before we learn that we can trust Him. Even though He leads us into scary situations, even though He takes us out of our comfort zone, that we can trust Him. When are we going to learn that we need to surrender our life and trust Him with that? What dream has God given you? You know, maybe you've been sidetracked by a distraction, a fear, or a failure, and you've got to get back on course. You need to get back on God's plan, back on His purpose. Well, listen, it's never too late. That's the great thing about God. Even if you mess up and got off of his plan for your life, there's always another on-ramp. He will always, it's never too late to get in on his dream for your life. Maybe right now God's dream for your life seems so big and radical and scary and no one else in your life understands it. Don't be afraid. Trust him. Maybe someone told you you couldn't do it, but God says you can. Listen, if God put that dream in your heart and it's from him, then it's possible. Realize that anything is possible with God and go for it, have faith. So what dream has God put on your heart? Is it the dream to to finally ask her to marry you? Then do it. Is it to start a new career, to step out and start something new? Then go for it. Is is it something that's within this church? Is it to lead a growth group or to go for the worship arts team or join Journey Kids or to to find a place to serve? Then then do it. What are you waiting for? Look, maybe you're here today and you're realizing for the first time that God does have a dream for your life. Maybe for the first time you're realizing that you're not an accident. In the past, maybe you tried to get a dream for your life from your parents or your friends or a professor. Maybe you just were making up a purpose for your life as you went along. But you see, it's God who created you. It's God who knows you. And he knows what, he's your creator. He knows what you were created for. He knows your purpose. He's the one who has a dream for your life. And the reason that you don't know that dream yet is that you don't know God yet. You haven't asked him to come into your life. You haven't begun.
0: Yeah, apparently as soon as you become a Christian, poof, the dream destiny thing, it shows up. Maybe as an email. I'm not sure, you know.
8: You haven't begun a relationship with him. You haven't placed your faith in Jesus. Listen, if that's you and you want God's dream for your life today, it requires that first step of faith. And all all you have to do is say yes to Jesus and open your life to him. If you do that, Jesus will come into your life and he will give you God's...
0: Notice he's not preaching repentance. He's not teaching the forgiveness of sins. He's not calling people to repent of their sins at all. No, it's, hey, do you want to finally figure out what your purpose is? Well, you've got to open your heart to Jesus. The person who does this is not a Christian.
8: give you God's dream and his purpose for your life today. You know, he wants to give you eternal life in heaven. He, he wants you to see why you were created. He wants you to experience that wonderful dream that he has for your life. But it all begins with that first step of faith. Placing your trust in Jesus. Believing in him. And faith makes that possible. Look at our last verse. It's Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. It's it's an important verse. I want you to follow along as I read it out loud.
0: Yeah, so we'll get a little gospel nugget here at the end. Read
8: it out loud. It says, for by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. Putting your trust in God. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Would you bow your heads with me right now?
0: Nope. Wow, what a train wreck. Yeah, just a hot mess of false doctrine, and man-made stuff that he just, you know, said, hey, God wants this, 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 and this, and this, and here's a list, and all that kind of... And none of it's found in the Bible. So how can any of this actually be Christian doctrine? Oh, I know the answer. None of it is. (sighs) What'd you think? Love to get your feedback if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can subscribe on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash firechristian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at FireChristian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, by Curie's death on the cross, for all of your sins. Amen.